If you will, please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. And so we're going to start a brand new mini-series today, Matthew chapter 5, titled The Given Church, where we are talking about how we emulate God's generous heart. Whenever we hear the word give, especially in the context of church, we tend to think of money. Oh, there, we, there pastor goes again asking for my money, right? But, but I want you to understand this morning that that's not what our focus is today. Um, the reason I'm part of this message, The Giving Church, is because I truly believe that more than anything, friends, that God desires that you and I emulate Him. In the same way when, you know, when it comes to our earthly parents, people see us and they say, oh, you look like your father, you look like your mother, that, that people are able to say when they see us that we look like Jesus. And not in the sense that we are perfect or that we are um, deity or you know, that we are gods like He is, um, but that we are, because of a relationship we have with Christ, are reflecting His presence, His, his influence, His power that is at work in us. It is obvious. Jesus, uh, one of the songs growing up that I used to listen to by a group called um, uh, Newsboys, they're still in existence now, but it was a different band back then. Uh, one of the things that they used to sing, one of the songs they used to sing went like they said, God is not a secret to be kept. Uh, and so the, there's this idea that you and I, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, are called to loudly, boldly, courageously proclaim Jesus. And by way of what He has done in your life and in my life. So our lives are never meant to uh, be, be kept hush-hush in the sense of, oh, just, just kind of live your faith quietly, don't bother anybody, don't let anybody bother you. No, we are called to be like light, to shine. And when you think about light, light, you can't control where light goes. Um, it'll extend as far as it can. And so in the same way, God wants you and I to emulate His example by reflecting Him to others. So um, many of you probably are Disney fans. You probably grew up, grew up watching a lot of Disney movies. I want to refer to one of the movies. Um, 1937 was when this movie first came out, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. How many of you are familiar with that, that movie? All right. So, of course, you know, there have been other renditions of that movie since 1937. But, you know, for those of you that are not familiar with this uh, movie, it's based on a, uh, it's a Disney classic that's based on an original book, the same title, in which um, you have this wicked queen who is, because of her obsession with being the prettiest in the kingdom, uh, learns that her stepdaughter is, in, in fact, the prettiest in the kingdom. And so this wicked queen sets out to kill her stepdaughter and of course one of the often quoted uh, i would say misquoted lines from the movie um, is this phrase magic mirror on the wall who is the fairest of them all of course we say mirror mirror yes on the wall that's the phrase we hear all the time mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all again you know it's this mentality of at least from this evil queen's perspective i want to be uh, the center of attention. I want to be the center of my world. I want everything to revolve around me. And I think in some ways, sometimes we project that same attitude when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, um, in the sense that we see our Christian walk as more about what we get from God more so than uh, any other purpose that God could possibly have. While the Bible is full of many promises that God has made to you and I, and I remember Pastor Steve made a, a, preached a message many, many months back where he I think he alluded, if I'm not mistaken, that in the scriptures there are about 30,000 plus individual promises that God has made to you and I. 30,000, that's a lot. <laughs> you know, and yet, you know, with every one of these individual promises that God has made to you and I, 
Um, you know, and while we have every reason to be grateful and to celebrate all the things that God says He will do in our lives when we yield our lives to Him, we need to understand this morning that what God does for me is not the most important thing. Um, the purpose of a relationship with Him is not so God can just simply bless me. And I think sometimes, again, we have this perception that a relationship with God is all about what God does for me. I've shared this story before. I had a classmate in, in, back in high school that I led to the Lord. And, and in time, he turned from the faith only because his expectation was that because he gave his heart to Christ, it meant that God was just going to fix every issue in his life. That everything was just going to become perfect, going to become rosy, all of the wrongs were going to right again. Um, and because they didn't have, that change didn't happen overnight, you know, things weren't fixed, life wasn't easy or rosy for him. He felt either his uh, salvation didn't take or that God really was not interested in uh, changing his life. And so he walked away from the faith and it broke my heart because, but, but it taught me an important lesson about what people are looking for when we are pursuing Christ. Again, God has made so many promises to you and I and it is his desire to work in your life and in my life. But understand that, that what he does for me is not the most important thing. What is most important is actually this, that God is working in me so that I reflect him. Because again, it's not enough for us to just simply receive, receive, receive from God, but God pours into us so that he might then pour through us. And people are around us, whether it be your work, your neighborhood, your homes, um, your, your circle of friends, there are people that God has surrounded you with who need to see Christ reflected through your life. Again, it's not about perfection, it's not about having things easy or rosy in your life, but that when things are going great or when things are not going so great, that they see Christ in you and that they are drawn to the same in you. This is what I believe the Apostle Paul was trying to allude to when in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, this is not our main text this morning, but I want to share this to set us up for the scripture we're going to read. He writes, but we Christians have no veil over our faces. And this is why he says we can be mirrors. Everybody say mirrors. Mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, Paul says we become more and more like Him. So that is God's ultimate goal. That is His focus. That is His desire. That you and I reflect Him. That when people see us, they see Him. They see what He's doing in your life and in my life. And that they are drawn to Him because of what they've seen Him do. That if God can change your life, then I know God can change my life. That that should be what drives them more than anything else. So, of course, as we talk about this, this, this journey that you and I are called to where we walk with Christ, understand, friends, that your life and my life was meant to be changed as we are becoming more and more like Christ. And it is in this, this reflecting Christ more and more, that God our Father, I believe, is most glorified. It is, it, it is in the idea that God is seen in me, He is he's revealed through me. This is where God, I believe, is most glorified. And this is why I truly believe that Satan works overtime to disrupt. Satan does not care as much for what God does for you as much as what God is doing in you. And he will do everything that he can to disrupt, to get in the way, to, 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 to distract, to, to, to confuse uh, the, the purpose that God has for your life and my life. Again, I want us to think, think in terms of when people see us, what do they see? So if I could take that phrase, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Maybe it would be this, mirror, mirror on the wall, do you see Christ in me at all? Mirror, mirror on the wall, do you see Christ in me at all? 
Again, while we often focus on what we receive from God, God's focus is always on how you and I reflect Him. And one of the ways that you and I reflect Him is through a life of generosity. Generosity is something that God is good at. (laughs) Every one of us in here this morning, we are all a living testimony to the generosity of God. In the sense that God didn't give us what we deserve, but when He gives us what we don't deserve, God lavishes it on us. That God doesn't say you and I have to repay Him for what He has done for us, except that we surrender our lives fully and completely to Him. And so what I want to talk to you this morning about is is what I call what I call grace-filled generosity that is ultimately about giving people Jesus. That when I in my words, in my actions, in my attitude, in the decisions I make, in the choices that I make, that I am giving people Jesus. What does that mean? Extending grace-filled generosity to others allows them to experience God's love and God's forgiveness. And this is what I believe the Lord himself was speaking to when, beginning in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, he says the following. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. But whoever slaps you in your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. I don't know about you guys this morning, but I can imagine that the crowd that sat and was listening to Jesus teach this wasn't thinking, what did you just say? Jesus makes no sense. It's not practical. It's not done. It's not normal. It's not, it's not usual. That somebody does wrong to you and you don't respond with doing wrong back to them. You know, one of the reasons uh, that I feel like the, the beginning of this, uh, the, the verses we read, verse 38, is so misinterpreted because we tend to see that phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as meaning that God sanctions revenge. No, He does not. God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now, the reason God gave that instruction through the law of Moses was to say to the people of Israel that when an offense is committed, the punishment must fit the crime. He wasn't sanctioning revenge. He wasn't saying that when wrong is done against you, that you take it upon yourself to do wrong back. He never gave us permission to do that. He says, we must allow him to take vengeance in our place. It is his right to repay. But our response is to ensure that that in, in exacting judgment that it is fair. That was why that was instituted. Again, we take that to mean God is saying, I can do to what person what they've done to me. It is not the case. What I do believe Christ came to introduce is this idea of rather than seeking justice, that what we ought to do is to say, God, how can you use the wrong that has been done to me as a catalyst by which I can show Jesus to the one who is offended? Here's the thing, friends. What he's asking us to do, it is humanly impossible. And yet he's not asking us to rely on our own human ability. He's asking us to rely on him. Anything God asks you and I to do, he wants us to depend on him to do it. God doesn't give us a laundry list of things and he says, go do it. He says, this is what I desire of you. Let us walk together in making it happen. You and I must learn to depend on him, to live for him. And part of being generous is recognizing that that, that our response, especially to those who are undeserving of our grace, that our response must be one where we say, 
in spite of what you've done, I want to give you Jesus. How many times you've been hurt, whether it be relationships, whether it be in your job, whether it be things that were said to you, things that were done to you, and, and you heard it, you heard it, you heard it, and your flesh is saying, I want, I want payback. I want, to, I want them to feel the pain that I felt, and God's Spirit is saying to you. And I think sometimes we, uh, we, we tune that, that voice out because, again, it doesn't line up with what our flesh wants. But God is saying, no. There is a better way. My way. And while humanly speaking, it may not seem productive, it may not seem to produce much, recognize that when you trust me, I will do in you, through you, what you can never do when you go about it your way. We're talking about what it means to practice grace-filled generosity. And there are three characteristics of grace-filled generosity that I want us to acknowledge this morning. And, and as I share this with you, again, it's important that we not focus on flesh. We not focus on what I can do. Because I'll tell you this, everything I'm about to tell you, I cannot do. But through Christ, I am able to do. So through Christ, what, what the scripture is telling us to do, you can do. No matter how much your flesh wants to tell you, I cannot do this. This is not me. This is not me. This is not me. This is not how I'm wired. God is saying to you, I'm not asking you to depend on yourself. I'm asking you to depend on me because this is what I want you to do. These are the three characteristics of great food generosity that I want to leave you with this morning. And the first one is this, that great food generosity is always sacrificial. In Luke chapter 6 verse 35, this is what the Lord himself said regarding our response to those whether we consider them or they consider us to be enemies. He says, love your enemies. Again, if I was in that crowd and I heard that phrase, I'd be like, uh, say that again. Did you say what I thought you said? Love my enemies. The word love and enemies do not, do, not, they don't go in the same sentence. Jesus, you misspoke. Jesus, correct yourself. You know, say what you actually meant. And of course, if you were to ask him that, if you were to say that to him, he would say to you, again, I say to you, love your enemies. But no, Jesus, no, no you, you meant to use a different word. You know, find another word, not, not enemies. I mean, there, there's no way you can ask us to love enemies. Re, rephrase yourself. And he pauses and says, love your enemies. Jesus says, we are to love our enemies. We are to do good to them. We are to lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And this is what happens when we do so. He says, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Why? Because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Jesus says that when you and I respond to those who have hurt us or have maligned us, that what we are doing is we are emulating Him. And what it infers is this, that when we do the opposite, when we do what our flesh wants, then we are not emulating Christ. Again, what I said to you this morning, you need to understand more important than what he does for you is what he does in you. God wants you and I to reflect him. And in reflecting him, it involves us doing things that humanly speaking we cannot do. But if we're to reflect Christ, we must trust him to help us to do. Graceful generosity must be sacrificial. Graceful generosity says, I will set aside my wants, my desires, my needs, my goals, my agenda to pick up a different agenda, a greater agenda, God's agenda. Why? Because ultimately my desire is that even in what was a difficult, a negative, a, 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 a problematic circumstance, that Jesus is revealed. Are you and I willing to trust God enough that when we find ourselves having to deal with someone who has hurt us, that we're willing to say, God, I will do what you want me to do and I will trust you for the outcome. It's not an easy thing to do. 
See, on one end, it's easy for us to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But when we find ourselves facing hard circumstances where our flesh is saying, no, this does not make any sense. You cannot do this. What are people going to say about you? They're going to call you a fool. They're going to call you, uh, they're going to they're say you're weak. That in fact, what we are saying is, no, I am not a fool. I am not weak. Why? Because I am doing what I know will honor Christ. Graceful generosity is always sacrificial. Graceful generosity says, you know what, I'm willing to set aside what appeals to my flesh. Why? Because for me, the priority is to glorify God. Are you tracking with me this morning? God is saying to you and I that we must practice a generosity that is full of grace, that is sacrificial. Think about what Jesus did for you and I. I mean, we come Easter, you know, churches are filled all over the country because people want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But his resurrection and his, his death and resurrection is not something we celebrate one time of the year. We're supposed to celebrate that every single day because that has defined who we are now. What happened 2,000 years ago is what defines who we are today and tomorrow and the day after and the days ahead of us. How we live, the choices we make. And here's the reality, friends. In the same way that Christ had to make that very difficult decision of, of being obedient even unto death on the cross, in the same way, friends, God requires you and I to be willing to do those things that are difficult. Why? Because we're saying, God, I choose to do it your way because I trust that you will bring about the desired outcome. Again, Jesus says we are to love those who offend us. We are to do good to them in contrast to the evil they do to us. That when we give, we don't give expecting them to, to respond in kind. Why? Because for us, we recognize that our reward does not come from what they do in response to you and I. But our reward comes because we're looking to Him who has asked us to take this step, even though it makes no sense to us physically, but we know that God will repay. That God will pay us for the decision we've made. But not only is graceful generosity sacrificial, the second thing this morning I want to challenge you to with considering is this. Graceful generosity is selfless. It must be selfless. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, and I'm reading from the um, expanded Bible translation, this is what the, the apostle writes. And, and he uses Jesus as the example for you and I of how to respond, especially to those who don't deserve our response. He says, people insulted Christ, but notice, he did not insult them back. Christ suffered, but he did not threaten Instead, what he did was he let God, the one who judges rightly, take care of him. I've told you many times that, you know, growing up, I would watch the movie Jesus of Nazareth, and I would get to those scenes where, you know, they would depict him, you know, the cross was thrown on his back. Of course, at this point, he has already been flogged mercilessly. His body is bloody, scars all over his body, and, and then they put this heavy cross on him, and he's carrying this cross through um, the Via, Do Via Dolorosa in, in, in Jerusalem, and he's taking it all the way to Golgotha, and as he's doing so, imagine crowds around him, they're spitting at him, they're calling him all kinds of names, they're ridiculing him, and yet Jesus willingly did all of that. Why? Because his mind was on the purpose that God had for him, and the work God sent him to do on behalf of these very same people who were making fun of him. Jesus had every right to respond to what was done to him. And yet the Bible says, though he was insulted, he did not insult back. Though he was made to suffer, he did not threaten. In fact, remember his famous words on the cross? Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. A part of me, again, this is my imagination. Why would Jesus say that if not because Jesus 
knew that the heart of the father was enraged at what sin causes people to do. And perhaps that prayer was an intercessory prayer, staying the hand of God, saying, Father, I know that, that this enrages you, I know that this, this angers you, but God, forgive them because they have no clue what they're doing. And in the same way, you and I must learn to see that, that, that when, when people do what they should not do, they're only doing what they know, what their flesh knows to do. I remember watching a, a marriage series many months back where the, the preacher was telling, telling the audience, he said that, you know, you know, part of the reason why a lot of marriages struggle is that people, people are expecting their spouses to be saints. And they forget that they married a sinner. They married an imperfect person. They married a person who is prone to making bad decisions, bad choices. Not again to excuse the things that people do. That's not the point. But it's this idea that, that every one of us have a tendency and a proclivity to doing things that we should not do. That, that offend God, that displease God. And yet God's response to you and I is to extend grace to us. Not because our sin is not a big deal. Bible says that all sin separates from God. And the wage of sin is death. But the good news is that God extends grace to you and I. Why? So that you and I can experience something that is greater. Mercy, forgiveness, relationship, love, embrace, approval. All of it made possible through Christ's death on the cross. And in the same way as you and I, as Christ has modeled for you and I, you and I must be the same. We must be selfless. I can't tell you how many times people have said things to me or they've done things to me, offended me, caused deep hurts and wounds. And... Maybe they were expecting me to react a certain way and I did not react the way they were expecting. But what they did not know was that I'd already given them to God. And in my mind, I'm saying to myself, what God will do if you do not repent is far worse than what I could ever do. But I learned to not feel the need to have to respond to a person because of what they've done for me. Why? Because I recognize that when I look at my own life compared to God and what God has done, God has, done, God has forgiven me of so much. Imagine if God responded to you and I in the same way we respond to each other. That when a person does something to hurt or to, or to strike us and, and, and we respond in kind. Imagine if God did that with us. None of us would be where we are today. and We would, we would be hopeless. But thank God for His grace that is extended to you and I. That He lavishes on us. And not only lavishes on us this grace. But invites us to not follow in His example of a selfless, grace-filled generosity to others. And here's the third point. Grace-filled generosity must be submissive. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, again, the Apostle Paul points us to Jesus and he says, he describes what Jesus did on our behalf. And this is how he puts it. He says, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled. Everybody say humbled. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In other words, Christ was submissive. He was submissive to the Father's will. Everything in his flesh was probably crying out, no. Imagine as every stroke of that lash fell on his back and, it, and, and was ripping skin off of his flesh. Imagine what must have been going through Jesus' mind. The pain, the agony, the suffering. After all, did, didn't he pray in the, in the garden the night before? He said, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup of suffering. His flesh was not looking forward to what was going to happen. He was not looking. In case you did not know this, Jesus did not enjoy suffering. He did not enjoy being ridiculed. He did not enjoy being assaulted. 
but yet he endured. Why? Because his focus was on what the Father's will was to save. And Jesus understood that if, it, if this is the way that God will bring a person to, 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 uh, to, to, to salvation, bring, bring them to, to a relationship, a right relationship with him, then this is what I will do. If Jesus was willing to give himself for you and I, so that by his sacrifice, our offense against God will be remedied, then friends, when we are recipients of people's actions, their words, their attitude to us, what is our justification for saying that we will not be the same? Again, I'm not saying that we're called to enjoy suffering, we're not called to enjoy pain, we're not called to enjoy hardship, but what we are called to do is to submit even in the face of dealing with all of these things, these negative experiences that we have at the hands of others, that we're willing to submit to God and say, God, I am going to, I'm, I'm not going to give into my flesh, but God, I'm going to give into your spirit's direction in my life so that God, you would use this to bring about your good. Not only in my life, but perhaps in the life of the, of the one who was offended. Again, Jesus, the Bible says, emptied himself. And in the same way he emptied himself, he calls us to empty ourselves. So again, we're talking about the given church and what it means to emulate his example, Christ's example. This is one of the ways we do so, friends. Generosity that says, I give because God is giving. I sow into a person's life, not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because they have a right to it, but because I have received so much more from God that I did not earn, that I did not have a right to. Why? Because of the goodness of God. And in the same way that God has changed our lives through our relationship with Him, not giving us what we've earned, but instead giving us what we don't deserve, friend, how much more when you and I choose to take the hurts that we've received at the hands of others and we bring them to God and we say, God, I'm not going to do what my flesh wants to do. God, God, God I'm, going to, I'm going to submit to you in this situation so that you would take this scenario, this circumstance, and use it to hopefully bring this person to a right, 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 right knowledge of, of, of Christ. Here's, here's something that, that many times as believers we don't often consider. It's some of the hard things that God asks us to do for His namesake. We don't want to think about those things. We don't want to consider them. We don't want to even consider what, may, what, it, what it may look like or what form it may take. But here's the thing, friends. If you and I are to follow Him, we cannot be surprised when we have to endure some of the things that He endured. We, 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 we cannot only look for all of the pleasant, the positive things in this relationship that we are called to with, with Christ. We must also look to those things that are difficult, that are challenging, not again because we enjoy pain or suffering, but because we recognize that if Christ went through that for my sake, then what's stopping from being willing to go through that for the sake of another? And that God could use that to change a person's life. There are, there are people in here that you're, you're dealing with things right now where, where again the flesh is saying, this is what you should do because this is what makes sense to do. And God is saying, no, don't do it. Yield to me. Allow me to work in you. Rely on my grace to help you do what you cannot do on your own. But trust me, God is saying to you, if you do it my way, it'll be far better than if you did it yours. The outcome will be far greater. The reward will be far more pleasant if you do it his way over doing it your way. I know what God is saying to you this morning, but I challenge you. I challenge you this morning. Let us be a people who 
who in our, our generosity to others, especially to those who don't deserve it, that we say, God, I want to emulate you. And I'm going to do so in your power and in your strength and through your wisdom. What I'm asking you to do is hard. I'm not going to tell you it's easy, but it is possible. And, and what God is asking us to do, it is doable. But God, more importantly, wants us to understand that it is His grace that we rely on to do those things. I want to invite every head by and every eyes closed. Again, as I said to you this morning, the goal for every one of us today is to bring Jesus to people. So no matter what we experience or we encounter, in our minds, what must be foremost is this. God, is my response going to bring Jesus to this person? Is my response going to bring Jesus to this situation? Is my response going to bring Jesus to this circumstance? Am I bringing Jesus into this environment? Because that's what we are called to do. More than anything, friends, we are called to bring Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is ministering to you and saying to you, so far you've not brought Jesus into a circumstance you're in. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The point is not for you to feel bad or to feel dejected. The point is to recognize God is saying, Stop in your tracks. Stop going the way that you want to go, the way you think you should go, and just simply follow me. Follow me. Follow me trusting that I will take care of you. Follow me knowing that I won't lead you to a place that will bring destruction into your life or that will deprive you of my best for you. That God is saying that even in the hardships, the hard times, the hard experiences, you can trust me and I will bring you to a, to a desired outcome. God is saying trust him. Will you trust Him this morning? Will you trust Him this morning? Let God repay. Let God repay. And when He does so, friends, you will discover that, there was, that even you could not, even you could not, you, you could not duplicate what God could do if you had done it on your own. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just encourage you, one of the greatest decisions you can make is to surrender your heart and life to the Lord. Part of surrendering to the Lord is saying, I don't want to live my way. I don't want to live the way I think I should live or the way the world says I should live. I don't want to live in a way that is natural to my flesh. God, I want to live for you. I want, I want to know you. I want to walk in relationship with you. I want your spirit to live in me and to live through me and to help me to be who I cannot be on my own. I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross so that I could know the reality of your love and I could experience that love every single day. And I choose that today. If that's you, I want to invite you this morning to just lift up your hand. And I'm looking all over the room with every head bowed and every eyes closed. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning that God will meet you in place and point of day. Maybe you're struggling with this decision to follow Christ and God is saying, let go and let God. Let go and let God. Stop fighting. Stop, stop pushing. Stop holding back. Allow Him to do what He desires to do in your life because it will be glorious when you do so. Looking around the room, is there anyone that will say, Pastor John, pray with me this morning? Thank you, Father. With every head bowed, every eyes closed. My desire this morning is to pray for everyone here today because I believe that everyone is going through something or will go through something at some point in your life where you're going to have to make that hard decision of either trusting God to do it His way or just yielding to your flesh and doing what the flesh wants. My prayer for you this morning is that God will give you grace to choose Him and to trust Him 
and to see him work in your life for his glory and for your good. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. And I am so grateful for the opportunity that God we have. Lord, even as we step into this brand new series, Lord, talking about what it means to reflect you. It's this thing called grace-filled generosity, Father, is something that, that God, it, 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 it boggles the mind, Father, because in our, in our, in, from our perspective, Father, generosity is deserved. It must be earned. And yet, Father, your example to us, Lord, is one of lavish generosity, grace-filled generosity, not because we've earned it or we deserve it, but because you love us. And God, because you love us, Lord, you brought us into a relationship with you. God, we are recipients of that love, and that love continues to change our lives from day to day. God, help us, Lord, God, to rely on you, God, to be able to now reciprocate the same toward others. Again, not to justify or to excuse the wrongs that they're done, because you don't justify or excuse the wrong we've done, but then, God, we extend grace so that, God, they might see Jesus and that, God, they might have opportunity to embrace Jesus. God, where there's hurt, God, bring healing. God, where there's restlessness, Lord, bring peace. God, where there is a sense of hopelessness, God, renew hope this morning in the hearts of your children. And God, may your joy, the joy that you give us, Lord, be the strength of our lives every single day. That God, even when others around us, knowing the things that we're dealing with, Father God, they see the joy that, it, that resonates in our hearts, that God, they would wonder, why are we like this? Why are we not overwhelmed or bogged down by the circumstances of our lives, but that God, we can point them to you and say, Jesus, gives me grace to endure struggle and to overcome struggle. God, let this be our testimony, Father. And for whomever may be here today, God, who is acknowledging, Lord, I need Jesus in my life. Thank you, Father. That God, on the heels of the earth, crying out to you, saying, God, I need you in my life. That God, you will indeed meet them in their place and point of need. That God, they would discover the joy of salvation. A right spirit, Father. A renewed relationship, Lord. God, thank you, Lord. And that not just today, but every single day, Father, that, Lord, for these individuals, Lord, that their testimony would be, I know Jesus, and he's changing my life. Again, God, thank you for your word. And, Lord, may we not just be hearers alone, but may we be doers. Help us, Lord, to reflect on what's been said today, God. Help us to reflect on what your word is teaching us, Lord. But at the end of the day, help us, Lord, to always come back to you and to depend on you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, as everyone said Amen.